you would take out the Word of God and turn to Titus chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 3 through 5 as we unpack how in many ways the church is to be a mother to women, uh, all women. So if you would stand in reverence to the reading of God's perfect Word, Titus chapter 2 beginning in verse 3. We stand in reverence to remind ourselves that this is God's Word, that these are the words of Christ. We're not here to just sort of hear a pep talk or to get some tips for living. We are to hear from Christ, who is our King, and that is to change the way we think about our life, think about our roles in the world, think about our mission, think about our family. It's to to change the way we think about everything. It is to transform us. So hear the word of Christ, Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 3. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Oh God, help us to be a church where that happens, where the Word of God is taught and it is modeled, where gender is celebrated, where we realize that we are created in the image of God. And we have all been given different roles to reflect that glory in the world. We have all been placed in different places to reflect that glory. Help us to see that clearly and help us to be be a church that clings to the gospel in all of these things so that the word of God is not slandered. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. You may be seated. She's probably one of those stay-at-home moms. I mean, what do they do all day anyway? Just mom all day? My friends noticed an uneasiness in the conversation that I was having at the time with another coach at the ball field. And he had had an interaction with a stay-at-home mom that didn't go so well, obviously. And so he was confiding in uh, what he thought was a group of coaches that he could confide in to complain about stay-at-home moms. And he did not know who I was at the time. And he didn't know my wife was a stay-at-home mom. He didn't know much about me. But the other coaches present knew a lot about me. And they knew my wife. They knew my family. And they also knew how I was about to respond because they knew me well. And at that time, I was a lot less sanctified. (laughs) And if 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 I thought I could have taken the guy in a fist fight... I concluded that I couldn't. He was very large. (laughs) I would have disqualified myself for ministry in that moment. I would have lost my ministry because I was so angry and furious at this moron. And he was a moron. And my friends noticed that. And their eyes got really big. And they're sort of like shaking their heads at this guy. And he turned around and he looked at me. And he realized what was going on. And he goes... Now, what does your wife do? And I said, nothing. 
absolutely nothing, and turned around and walked away. Now, we realize that that is a perception, not just of stay-at-home moms, but to be honest with you, of moms in general at times. Some of your husbands have that perception when they get home. What did you do all day? What kind of question is that anyway? We, we, we realize that we all struggle with that. It's not just the perception of stay-at-home moms. Moms in general sort of feel that brunt at times. What are you really doing? And it's not even from the outside world, mostly. It's from your own heart. At times, you are the one saying, I'm just a mom. What do I do? And, and I believe that comes with the humility of motherhood. That that's just a part of being a mom. You really don't see your significance even though you are most significant most of the time or all of the time. You, you don't see your significance. And it's a misunderstanding of what a, not just what a mom does, but what motherhood is and who moms really are. Whether you are a stay-at-home mom or whether you have a career and you work outside of the home, finding significance in motherhood, which is one of the strangest things to me because you are so significant, is often difficult. And it is the work of the evil one so often in your life. It is spiritual warfare for you to see this glorious task as significance with the, the evidence is always right before you. And, and here in Titus, he, he want, Paul is writing to Titus, who is a pastor, a church planter. And he tells them, as, as you establish the gospel on the island of Crete, in the context of a church, I, I want you to remember roles in the church. I want you to remember that gender is present. There's not just this blur of humanity before you. God has created us in the image of God, and He has given us different roles in the world to flesh out that image. But it's all to be established in our identity. And that's where we find significance. And we are to be gritty in our discipleship. We are to be intentional in our discipleship in the context of the church to make sure moms know the gospel. To make sure women know the gospel. And notice how we're to do that. Uh, verse 3, Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior. Now, this term older women, obviously it means women who are older in age, those who are more seasoned in life. But we also know from experience in the context of the church, age doesn't always determine mature, maturity in the gospel. And so women who are seasoned in the gospel, notice they are likewise to be reverent in behavior. They are to carry themselves with a sense of reverence before God. We understand what this reverence before God is from the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs begins by telling us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. Meaning we stand before God as a creator and we are the creature. And God has spoken and He is the one who orders and establishes how we are to live in His world. And so we are to all stand before Him with a sense of trembling to, to say, I can't figure out my life. I don't know how I'm supposed to live. Only you can tell me. 
And he says the older, more mature women are to be a testimony of this sort of reverence in the context of the church. They are to be the ones who stand before God with reverence and say, I need God to tell me what to do. And they live with this practical wisdom, this practical knowledge of fleshing out the gospel before the congregation. Notice, he continues, they're not to be slanderers. This comes from the word where we get the word devil, which means to to falsely accuse or the accuser who is a liar. And so women in the context of the church, they're not to paint half-truths, untrue pictures as if they're reality, rumors, exaggerations. They're not also, notice the text says, to be slaves to wine. Now what was happening on the Isle of Crete is you would have the older women, maybe they were widows, maybe they didn't have kids in the house, and so they would have these seasoned saint fellowships. And they would pop a cork, they would pass the bottle around, and the more they drank, notice how it's connected, the more their speech came forth and the more gossip, and the more slander that, that, that they were involved with. In my grandmother's day, that's what happened at the beauty shop. Today it happens on Facebook in the group text, where you something comes over you, here it's wine, most often it's just selfish ambition, and that's what controls you, And from your heart spews forth uncontrolled words about others in the congregation, about others in the community. And here, Titus, he says to Titus, he says, you are to teach these women to be controlled by the Spirit, controlled by the Gospel. In the Bible, alcohol is always a control issue. It's what is controlling you. Are you controlled by the Holy Spirit or the wine? And here he says, you are to teach older women to model what it means to be controlled by the Spirit, what it means to be led by the Gospel. And when they are led by the Gospel, their words will be harnessed. And notice how they will be harnessed. Notice as the passage continues, they are to teach what is good. So they're not involved in slander. They're not involved in gossip. They're not involved in using their words carelessly. They harness their words to teach what is good. And obviously, this would be speaking, teaching, heralding the gospel. But in the New Testament, so often teaching, or more often than not, teaching carries the connotation of modeling. And so he's saying, teach the older women that they are to not just speak what is good, They are to model what is good in the congregation. The same thing Jesus did with His disciples. We are to teach all that Jesus commanded His disciples. That's to be passed on. How do we know what He commanded? Well, He modeled it for His disciples. And older women in the congregation are to model what it means to be harnessed and controlled by the Gospel, living out godly lives. They they are to be coaches who say, this is what you're to do, now look at my life and let me show you. And notice the phrase, what is good? The word good means whole. It means complete. And, And the way that we look at that word is we say, what is good? What makes us complete? And it's the Gospel. And he says, older seasoned saints in the context of the congregation, women are to speak the gospel and model the gospel in the congregation. Now, women love to learn. 
They love to study the scripture. When I was in Bible college, I, I would come home at night to today and I'd be like, I'm learning these amazing things about God. Superlapsarianism, Reformed theology. Let's just talk about these deep theological things all the time. That's all I wanted to do. And she was like, I, I don't have time for that. I'm going to work to pay so you can go to school. I don't, I don't want to stay up and just talk theology. Well, now, guess what? The tables are turned. Because I study every day to preach sermons. I preach sermons. And so I come home and Danae's like, let's talk about the sermon. Like I just preached the sermon. Let's talk about what we're talking about at T2W. Oh, no, I, I don't want, where are you? Women love to learn. And, and, and sometimes we're intimidated by that as men, or we feel like we don't have time for that. But one of the problems with women's ministry today is it drifts toward just this biblical trivia where we get together and we highlight our Bibles, where we get together and we acquire all of this information for information's sake, and our shelves and our books are full of Bible study, and it never leads to transformation. Notice the way he's talking about teaching. It's not just standing up and dispelling information. It's modeling, modeling the information so that there is transformation. And he says that's what's to go on in the context of the church. And so as a church here, when we talk about the Bible, it always points to Jesus. When we talk about biblical history, when we talk about context, when we talk about what's going on in the Scripture, it is to always lead us to Jesus. And it's not just some generic do-goodism. It is the Gospel. And older women in the context of the congregation have a responsibility to model lives being transformed by the Gospel. Not just pontificating about womanhood. Not just pontificating about all you know in the Scripture. But this is what it looks like to apply the Bible to your life. And notice the context. And so train young women. Maybe by age or just less maturity. But notice the word train. It is the same word for exercise. And so older women, more mature women, are to be coaches in this way. They, they, they are to train. They are to build relationships so that they can stand alongside and coach the younger women. And notice, notice how this is moved here. Whereas there's this out-of-control speech, irreverent behavior. The Gospel harnesses all of that, and it harnesses it for a purpose. Teaching the Gospel. Modeling the Gospel. The Gospel harnesses your life so that you become a Gospel coach for younger women. And so you're not just saying whatever you want to say. No, your words are harnessed for the sake of the gospel. You replace gossip and whining. You, you replace those things with gospel encouragement. Instead of just, I'm going to let you have it. Or I just can't believe all of these young women around here. They're so soft. By the way, your grandmother and mom said the same thing about you. I promise. But, but instead of such cynicism, instead of such whining and complaining, you harness those words, you harness your life for the good of others. That's why you're here. Not just to be a grouse over in the corner. 
but to, to invest in lives and to speak the gospel into the lives of younger women for the sake of the gospel in the church. Isn't it amazing God uses us in all of these ways? Isn't it amazing we get to be a part of this? Isn't it amazing that Jesus died for your sins? Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing that we get to be women in the context of Jesus' mission? You are to speak those words into the lives of younger women. You are to use your life for their good. Notice, he says that, that, that your, your speech is harnessed but irreverent behavior is harnessed by the gospel so that others see the gospel. So you don't isolate yourself. In the context of the church, anyone, men, women, anyone, you can't isolate yourself. But we have a tendency to do that. I have enough problems of my own. I've got to get over here by myself and work on my problems. Well, one of the signs that you're transformed by the gospel is you think less about your problems. And so you walk into the context of the church and you're, who can I help with their problems? Who can, who can I make sure they're finding joy in the gospel? And you know what happens when you do that? You become less frustrated about your own problems. And you begin to say, not I have enough problems of my own, I can't even remember what problems I have because I'm always thinking about everybody else's. And there's gospel joy in that. And I just want to say to our older, more mature women, you can categorize yourself. We need you here. We have a lot of young ladies, women, who grew up in homes where the gospel wasn't treasured, where it wasn't modeled, where it wasn't taught. We have a lot of women who have just believed the gospel. And it's not the same day and age that some of us lived in where there's just this, this way that you carry yourself. They don't really even understand how to carry themselves in the context of the church. And we need you to model that. By, the, by your speech, encourage them. Don't complain. By the way that you harness your life, investing in them for the sake of the gospel. We need you. And I will say this about my wife. We've spent, I guess, 20 years away from her family. At most, she sees her mom once a year, if that. And if it were not for older women in the context of our churches, uh, we wouldn't have made it. She's needed older, seasoned women. Not just to... She, she knows more theology than they do. She's read more than most of them. She lives with me. We've talked about these things. But what she needed was older women to step in her life and just love on her. Say, so you're going to make it? Your kids are crazy? doesn't matter that they're pastor's kids. They're crazy. All kids are crazy. We love you anyway. But she's needed that. And younger women here need that. There's pain. There's difficulty. There's joy. There's success. You need to see your life not as I'm on coast mode. A lot of older women, they come into the church. It's I've done my time. I'm on coast mode. No, you're not. You are not on coast mode. This thing will go off the rails if you start coasting. We need you to invest in these younger women. We need you to spend more time than you did before. Maybe not serving in journey and cooking and doing all the things that you say, I did my time with, but just spending time with younger women. We need that in the context of our church. They need what is good. Notice the phrase, what is good. They need the gospel. They need to be confronted at times. Their discontentment needs to be addressed. 
The way they parent needs to be dressed. The, the, way that they, the, the way they talk about their husband needs to be addressed. But it's always in the context notice of what is good. You're bringing the gospel. Hey, that's not the way you do that. But Jesus loves us anyway. I'm going to show you the love of Christ. And so they come to you not worried about judgment, but help me. Help me find Jesus in this. Help me find encouragement in this. They come to you for patient endurance, even when you've told them the same thing 20,000 times, and you say, I told you how to deal with that kid. And they come back. And you just say, oh, smile, okay. Let's try this again. Maybe you didn't hear me the first time. And you patiently endure. Mary Pruitt leads our women's ministry and is a spectacular model of this in the context of our church. And, and sometimes Mary, she, she'll say things like, honey, you just, need to, you just need to suck it up in that sweet Mary Pruitt voice. <laughs> and you're going, did she just rebuke me? And she's, she's so sweet and gospel that you don't even know you're being rebuked and corrected. But we need that in the context of our church. Notice what we are to teach younger women, to love their husbands. In this context, it's love through respect, admiration, loyalty. They're to be committed to their children. They're to sacrifice in ways that nurture them in the faith. They're to be self-controlled with their tongue, with their emotions. They're to be the calm in the storms of life. They are to be pure, set apart, sexually, emotionally, uh, to, to their role. Notice, working in the home, keepers of the home, overseers of the home. This doesn't restrict uh, to, to the home. It, it's only to, you're not to be distracted from your roles in the home. You're to be an overseer of the home. And you are to be an anchor in the home of love and self-control and purity and devotion to Christ. And notice you're to be kind and submissive to their own husbands. The word kindness here, it's not just sweet. It's not soft. It's love in action. You are to serve your husband. Notice the word we all love, submissive. It is a word that means to respect you trust and you follow your husband's leadership. And you do so in the way that the church follows Jesus' leadership. In Ephesians, Paul tells the men that they are to lay down their life as Christ. And he tells the women, if your husband is laying down his life as Christ, you follow him as you would Christ. You trust him. You respect him. And here, notice we look at all of this that's to happen in the home. And so often we think, what am I to teach these young women to do? You know, how do you do this? How do you be a wife? How do you be a mom? But notice the way it's described here. He didn't tell them to do anything. He describes character qualities. This is from who you are in Christ, these character qualities naturally flow out. So, so if you think, how am I to be a good wife? How am I to be a good mom? How am I to teach these younger women to do those things? And if you hear domesticate, cook, clean, do the laundry, then, then no, it's a lot harder than that. Notice the qualities here. Notice what he says. You, you are to be loving. 
How many of you would say, I would rather do the laundry? <laughs> Loving? I, I would rather change diapers. Notice he says, self-controlled. Self-controlled. How many of you got that down pat? Notice, harnessed. You're, you're to be pure in your emotions, your thoughts, your heart is to be devoted to Christ. You're not to be lazy in the home. You're to be kind and meek. So, so if you were going to come in here today and say, I know the way Pastor Jeremy thinks about the family. I know the way he thinks about marriage. I know the way he thinks about motherhood. And he's about to make me really, really angry by telling me this is the way I should do things. Now I'm going to make you angry by telling you the way you should be, which is loving, self-controlled, not lazy. Your life is harnessed with purity. You're to be kind. You're to be meek. That's a lot harder than me giving you a bunch of tasks today. But, but the point here is all of this goes back to from what is good. These character qualities flow from what is good. And there's a warning here for all women, for all moms, if you try to display any of these character qualities apart from Jesus, you're going to be miserable. It's impossible. You, you come in here today and say, I'm supposed to be loving as a mom and a wife? I'm very, very unloving. But you know how you deal with that? Jesus loves you anyway. Jesus loves you anyway. Even though you may be the most unloving mom here. Even though you may wake up tomorrow and say, I wish I could get out of this place. I, I, my heart says, I don't want to be here. And if you really examined your heart, you would say, am I really committed to this? And maybe there's doubt. Oh, Jesus is committed to you. He loves you. And that's where your love for your husband, that's where your love for your kids comes from, is that Jesus loves you anyway. And that is what fuels the fire of love in your home, is that Jesus loves you. He has been kind to you. Some of you come in here today and say, this week I was so sarcastic. I was so frustrated. Mom, 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 mom. And you're just irritated with your kids. And you read this and you say, I'm supposed to be kind? There's no way I was kind this week. Well, guess what Jesus was? He was kind to you. And he still loves you. And he's still committed to you. Jesus isn't tolerating you. He isn't frustrated with you. He isn't irritated with you. He isn't put out with you. He loves you, mom. He loves you, wife. He's committed to you. And that's where your kindness comes from. Uh, Jesus is the one who controlled his tongue. You, you lashed out this week in anger and frustration. You just let them have it. I'm done. I'll tell you like it is. Well, Jesus, you know the way Jesus is described before the cross? He did not open his mouth, but like a lamb led to slaughter for your good. He controlled his emotions for a time to die for your sins. And that is where you harness your emotions, your words, your anger. You may come in here today and say, pure, I'm not pure in heart. I don't always think rightly from the inside out. I even hate the way that I think about my life, my role. I can't believe I even have these thoughts. You may be here today and you say, I'm not pure. Guess what? 
Jesus was pure on the inside and out. His heart was pure. The way he thinks about the world is pure. The way he thought about his task is pure. The way he thinks about you is pure. Jesus' thoughts have always been pure. So, so, so the temptation and the frustration that goes on in your mind, in your heart, Jesus is your righteousness inside and out. You can't do it. When you read these character qualities, you say, I got to do that this week. Let me get a list out. Let, let, me, let me start making notes of how I'm going to do this. You can't. This is about Jesus, and it all runs to and from Jesus. Notice he continues, why? Why do we teach and train in this way in the context of the church? Notice that the Word of God may not be reviled. Now, the Word of God refers to the commands of Christ, and Paul's probably talking about the apostles' teaching that were being delivered over to the church at that time that explained to them how to live out the gospel through, uh, from Christ through the apostles to the church. And he's saying the gospel itself is reviled when we don't teach and live this way. Do you get that? That... Teaching women to embrace their identity in Jesus and, and showing them how it's fleshed out in the home and the world is a gospel issue. It's a mission issue. It, it is so that the Word of God, notice, the Word of God, the gospel, isn't revived. And sadly, so many churches today are just becoming bland when it comes about gender. It, everything going on in our culture, everybody's confused. Things are being redefined and changed. And, and what so many churches today are doing is, let's just don't talk about it. Let's just get together and talk about something else. I'm not going there. Attendance is good right now. And, and, and talking about roles, and we're not even, we, don't, we don't even know how to address that in the context of the church. But Paul says here, we have to address it. Because it's a gospel issue. In Genesis, God created man and woman in His image. You know what that means, the word image? It refers to His authority. Meaning, He gave us the right to display His authority in the world. And the way we display His authority is as men and as women. There are two distinct genders that display the glory of God in the world. And to not talk about those things is to slander the Word of God. To, to talk about some androgynous, just blurry, just mass of humanity, that's not the way God created us. Look around. We're different. We're different in gender by design for the glory of God. And then we read in the New Testament that though sin has come into the world and these roles and gender is confused and it's marred, that, that, that Jesus who is the groom, comes into the world and dies for His bride. That involves gender. That involves laying your life down for your wife. There is a picture of the Gospel in marriage. So we talk about marriage. We, we, we talk about what marriage is. We talk about what it should be. That men are to lay down their lives and love their wife. And, and the wife is to trust and submit to her husband. Why do we do that? Because the Word of God is at stake. Because God has said that's how we do that. And to disparage that, He says, is to revile or reproach the Gospel. The word there means to discredit. It means to lie about the Word of God. 
And so, not only do we teach those things, we embrace those things. We teach and we model those things in the context of the church. And to not do that is to lie about God. Jesus is a groom who loves his bride and laid down his life for her. So we talk about that when we have weddings. One of the most awkward times in my life now as a pastor is when I do weddings. Because I'm like the backwoods fundamentalist who's still talking about love and submission. And the bridesmaids are on stage saying, where'd you get this guy? I didn't know we were coming for a sermon. Well, I am a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ standing before the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, sealing a covenant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Yeah, oh, guess good. <laughs> As it was coming out, I thought it was going to be good, and it was. <laughs> but that's who I am. It's not just who I am, it's who we are as a church. We display these things for the glory of God. But we don't just teach them. You can believe these things and vote a certain way. You can believe these things and post a certain way on Facebook. What is the emphasis here? Teach them how to do these things. Teach them how to embrace these things, no matter how you vote, no matter how you live. You embrace them in a compelling way. We embrace our roles in marriage as husbands and wives for the sake of the gospel. And, and, and so when, when the young man is saying, I never want to get married. Look at your life. All you do is complain. Guess what? That's an abomination of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the young woman says, marriage? Ugh. If my husband's going to be like the way you say yours is, I, I ain't doing that. If kids are that bad? Huh? That, what, we do it for the sake of the gospel. Our lives in the context of the church gender, the, the, the roles we have are to draw people to the gospel. And, and one of the things I want to say because it's Mother's Day is in light of this, in the context of the church, in many ways the church is to be a mother to women and we are to teach these things. We are to, we are to, we are to model these roles. We are, we are to model femininity in the context of the church. One of the things I want to say around here is we can't teach the next generation of young women that God is punishing them for being a woman. We can't teach that. God has designed women for a reason for His glory. And I want to say very pointed, not just wives and not just moms today. I want to say very, very clearly, if you are a woman here today, if you are a female, God made you that way. It is His design for your life. And He made you that way to bring glory to Himself. He made you that way to, to say something cosmic through your life. And so don't begrudge that. Don't begrudge that. Embrace it for the glory of God. Dig into the Scriptures and say, what does it mean to, to be a woman in Jesus for the glory of God. No matter my roles, no matter my circumstance, what does it mean to be feminine? I'm going to embrace it to the glory of God. Why? Because God created me this way. I'm going to embrace it wherever I am, whatever I'm supposed to do, whatever lot in life I have at this time. I'll say this, in the context of our home, my home, without the, the femaleness of our home, like we would just die. <laughs> This, from the smell that would ensue, 
But, but there, there's so much that goes on in the context of our home through the women, through the girls, that, that we would be missing if it wasn't there. There would be a glory that would not be present. And, and God has created you as a woman to display that throughout the world. As a woman, as a female, there is a beautiful grittiness that comes to, from my girls. That just, it blows my mind. I, I, I look at them sometimes and I say, how can something so precious be so strong? Be so strong and so gritty. How does that happen? Because with me, with most things, maybe it's strength and some grit, but, but it's sure not preciousness. <laughs> so, so how does that same grit and preciousness go together? And my, my girls are a picture of the gospel to me on a daily basis. My, my little girls show me the glory of God because they are so precious and they are so strong. And it's not weakness. They're not weak at all. And they remind me of Jesus, who, king of the universe, strong and mighty, gritty, tough courage. And what did he do? He was obliterated by the wrath of God to show kindness. So there's a, there's a beautiful mercy that comes just through being a woman that you display in the world. And I want to say to you, some of you will display that in being wives and moms. That doesn't mean you don't have an opportunity to display that. Maybe it's in schools. Maybe it's in the workplace. You still display that glory. And even as Lydia said today, you're not insignificant if you're not a wife or you're not a mom. And if you are, Titus, Paul says to Titus, you are to teach them to model this cosmic glory as, as you love your husband, as you're devoted to him. And if you're a mom, you, you model this sort of magical nurturing power that nobody else has in the world as you disciple your children. And so I do want to say something to moms today because I, I, I know what it's like. I ha My mom was the same way. Danae's the same way. You just always think you're doing a horrible job. And I, I just don't get that. It's because I'm a man. I don't get it. Doesn't mean it's not true that you don't feel that way. See, I'm learning communication skills. <laughs> but, but you just think, and I, you know, it blows my mind. Because I look around this room and so many of you are doing a great job. I'm not bad at this. And by the way, if you're bad at it, your kids are going to love you anyway. They're going to love you anyway. You know what? Because you're their mom. And guess what? If you love Jesus and they love you anyway, guess what that is? That is gospel dynamite for the glory of God. Because they're going to just love you. And you're going to say, you love me even though I'm a fool, even though I do all these things and, and I'm not good at this and you love me anyway. Well, let me tell you why I do it. It's Jesus. Jesus loves me anyway. And they know Jesus and they come to serve and follow Jesus through that relationship. Being a mom, you have significance. But here's the good news. Whether you're single, married, divorced, empty nest, whatever it is, here's the reality. What, what Paul is saying to Titus, you teach in the context of the church. Women have the same gospel identity as anyone else. 
You're not second-class citizens. You're not. Guess what? The Father looks upon you, a woman who, who is a sinner. If you trust in Jesus and believe in Him, the Father looks upon you the same way He looks upon Jesus. That's not just for men. He loves you the same way He loves Jesus. You're an heir to the kingdom. He died for your sins. And, and, and today you're, you're sitting around thinking, what, I, what do I do anyway? How do I find significance? That's not even how you ask the question. The, the question today is not what do you do, it's what Jesus has done for you. And Jesus doesn't want you to come in here today and cling to your motherhood with some hope. Because if you come in here today and you're looking for your motherhood, it's going to be shot full of holes. Because it's not perfect motherhood. And you would be the first to admit that. So your only hope here today is to trust in Jesus. Moms believe in Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Hope in Jesus. If you're a woman here today and you're trying to find significance, the significance that, that, that God has ordained for you in the world is that you would find your identity in Jesus and you would love Jesus and you would believe the Gospel and you would serve Jesus. See, the issue is not clinging to your motherhood or your success or... Or, or, or what you've done. It's clinging to the cross. It's not about what you do. It's about what Jesus has done. Let's pray.